Welcome to Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and high-regulated industry. We're talking fintech, regtech, sextech, and more with thought leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to share insights, trade viewpoints, and get us all thinking about responsible innovation. And here is your host, Dara Tukowski. Hello, everyone, and happy new year. Welcome to another episode of Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and highly regulated industry. I'm your host, Dara Tarkowski, and today we have David Ramirez, co-founder and CEO of For Us All. And speaking of areas that are highly, highly regulated, For Us All is a retirement platform that is the first, the very first to offer cryptocurrency within a 401k plan. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you so much for having me. Listeners, we've covered a lot of topics on crypto and, and of course, different financial products and services. We have not yet really delved into the world of retirement plans, 401k, um, and all of these sort of long-term investment opportunities that so many people in this country and abroad really rely on to help build their retirement futures. So I feel very excited to have David here for sort of the first episode we have it, how we explore sort of that world and then, whoa, combining it with crypto, with everything that's going on in the industry right now, really, really cutting edge stuff. So David, I could probably give everyone a really great bio for you, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your background um, and how you came to found for us all? Yeah, thank you. Um, so myself and my co-founders, we work together prior to starting for us all at a firm called Financial Engines, uh, which was founded by Nobel laureate Bill Sharp, uh, who invented modern portfolio theory. And there we built what became the largest managed account provider, focusing on serving Fortune 500 companies um, with their 401k plan. So we would manage the 401k savings of um, hundreds of thousands of, of Americans. Um, after we went public, uh, we took a step back and asked ourselves like, well, what do we wanna do next? What we saw was that small and mid-sized companies in this country uh, were paying two to three times as much in fees. Uh, their uh, employees were not getting the help that they needed. So participation and savings rates were really low. Um, and worse, like these small businesses had to comply with the same ERISA compliance requirements that large companies, uh, like my former clients, Motorola Citigroup had to. The only difference is Motorola and Citigroup had teams of ERISA lawyers and, and consultants at Aon Hewitt and others that could help them keep the plan compliant, but small businesses didn't. And what we saw back in that time was two, two out of three companies that were audited by the DOL were failing their audits and facing fines. So we really founded For Us All to take the best of the technology we had built for the large companies and bring it down to the small and mid-plan market at a price point that made sense. For lack of a better phrase, it sounds like your goal and the goal of For Us All was to sort of democratize retirement opportunities for those organizations and for the employees who work for those organizations. Um, you know, not not dissimilar than, you know, the goals of so many fintechs and trying to, you know, democratize financial services generally. That that be fair? Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. And as we think about what it means to democratize access to retirement savings, they're, they're really maybe three components. The first is like, 
How do you make it easier for small businesses to even offer a 401k? There's still nearly half of companies don't offer a 401k plan. The second is once it's available, how do you make it easy and accessible for people to save? That's like employee help, education, advice. And then the third component, which we've really been focused on for the last uh, few years is how do you democratize access to alternative investments so that everybody has an equal access to the building blocks um, that large institutions, endowments, pension plans are using for their own uh, portfolios. Alternative investments, alternative investments. What a nice natural segue into crypto. Um, would those be, crypto would be one of the alternative investments that to which you are referring? No, that's exactly right. Okay, so I, I totally get it. Let's build a platform. We are going to enable uh, small and mid-sized businesses to offer affordable 401k plans to their employees. Mm -hmm. Check. And now we're going to let them invest in crypto too. Tell me how that sort of evolved. How that, that came about. Um, so we're, we're based here in uh, San Francisco. Uh, I'm, I live in Berkeley. So definitely just in the local fintech scene have been exposed for a while to the development of blockchain. Um, it was a few years ago, one of my board members uh, suggested, hey, David, why don't you think about uh, giving employees access to cryptocurrency in the 401k? And, and to be totally frank, I thought it was a crazy idea. In fact, I blew him off for three quarters um, until finally I realized it was going to be career limiting if, if I didn't at least uh, give it a <laughs> look. And so that was the only reason why I really started going deep. And, and you know, I always start from first principles. Um, as a portfolio manager, I, I worked for Bill Sharp's firm, Financial Engines. And the first thing I looked at was what part, how much of the global market portfolio is currently invested in cryptocurrency? And when I was looking at it, it was approximately one to 3%, not huge, but measurable. And a core tenant of modern portfolio theory is that uh, the prices of assets reflect best known information. So if you're going to have a different allocation than the market portfolio, you're in effect taking a bet that the market is wrong. Um, and it's okay to exclude an asset class because you think that the market is wrong. But as a fiduciary, if you're going to take an active bet that the market is wrong, you better understand what it is that you're betting against and who's on the other side of that trade. Um, and that, to me, once I realized that, uh, it was like, okay, now I actually have a fiduciary responsibility to really understand this asset class. Uh, and then I went down the proverbial uh, rabbit hole. Um, and what I found was a number of very interesting projects that were building what many, whether it's Harvard Business Review, MIT, uh, view as a potential transformative technology. Um, and there's a history of transformative technologies, whether it's the internet, whether it's space stocks of the 60s and 70s, whether it's a bicycle in Great Britain a few hundred years ago. Um, and so we really sought to understand a, what is the potential for this technology? B, how does it fit within the historical perspective of, of transformative technologies? And then from there, okay, well, how could you actually provide sensible access to employees with sufficient uh, education guidance and guardrails uh, so that if people do have access, uh, they're likely to be um, making reasonable investment decisions? So 
assuming, of course, that those um, that the that the guidance, the guardrails, and um, in your role or in any you know administrator's role, they are you know doing their due diligence and essentially rising to the level of meeting those fiduciary duties to uh, to participants. There's no other rules about what can and cannot be done as long as those other criteria, the statutory criteria and regulatory criteria are being met, right? Yeah. Another way to put it is that there is nothing in ERISA that provides uh, regulators the ability to define what is or is not an investable asset class. Um, in fact, Historically, they have not done that. There are a few nuances, like you you can't hold collectibles. That's an IRS thing. So no beanie babies in your 401k, no wine <laughs> in a drink. Um, but apart from those collectibles, um, it's really up to uh, a planned fiduciary to determine what is or is not an investable asset class. Now, the the crypto... Uh... You know, I always, I always, we call it sort of like the crypto industry. You mm-hmm. and I, you know, professionals in the industry really know it's really more the blockchain industry than mm-hmm. it is the the crypto industry because so many of these digital assets are not actually cryptocurrency, but crypto mm-hmm. for short, and because that's what everybody's you know mm-hmm. comfortable, you know, comfortable listening to. Um, in 2022, President Biden issued that sort of executive order heard around the world about basically this mandate that every federal regulator, regardless of sort of their purview or jurisdiction, had to take a long, hard look um, at this crypto industry um, Mm -hmm. and essentially figure out how they were going to enact within their power protections Mm -hmm. for the American people. SEC, Mm -hmm. CFTC, CFPB, the whole alphabet soup. And that includes uh, Department of Labor, right? Mm-hmm. So just a few days, and just listeners, in case y- you aren't aware of this, just a few days after uh, President Biden issued his executive order on the crypto industry, the United States Department of Labor, um, and again, this is just days, issued guidance, essentially warning financial advisors overseeing retirement plans that are regulated by ERISA. Uh, ERISA is the Employee Retirement Income Security Act to, quote, exercise extreme care before adding cryptocurrency products to a 401k investment menu. Um, Basically, uh, given the financial risks they believe are involved with crypto assets. I recall reading that guidance and sort of like doing a little eyebrow raise being like, did they just give investment advice? Is that, did the DOL like just actually do the thing that they don't want? The advisors doing, and it was wildly confusing to me. Um, and I thought it was, I thought it was a statement that was really out of left, like really out of left field. I was like, did this go through the general counsel's office? Did like everyone sign off on this memo before it went out? Um, but obviously, that's something that okay. The in my view, the regulator wants you to exercise extreme care. Yeah, we know that's called their fiduciary duties. So to me, it felt sort of like very redundant, a little superfluous, and quite frankly, unnecessary, given what the letter of the law um, already is. Um, In response to that, and I'm going to be very careful because I'm not going to ask our guest to to comment one way or another, but in response, 
for us all actually is challenging um, the issuance of that guidance in D.C. federal court. And for anyone who's very interested about watching, you know, a, a company um, who is on a mission to sort of democratize uh, retirement assets for the rest of us go head to head against one of our federal regulators, um, I would encourage everyone to sort of take a look at that docket and, uh, you know, watch that case. But interestingly enough, you know who didn't mind? Fidelity. So I'd like to hear that even given all of this, even given the Department of Labor's statements after President Biden's executive order, uh, For Us All is actually in a very exciting collaboration with Fidelity. And I'd love, David, for you to tell us a little bit more about now what you all are able to offer to um, a number of companies. So I think we were really excited when we saw Fidelity decide to offer a Bitcoin fund to employers that use the Fidelity platform. Um, I think w- what's interesting is we, we took a little bit very different takes in terms of what how our solutions are. But look, I mean, no doubt about it. Fidelity of the large traditional financial institutions, Fidelity was an early to recognize the potential for blockchain technology um, and has been quite active for years. Uh, and uh, they certainly know the 401k plan space. And I think that it seems that they have come to the same conclusion that we have, that for some employees, it may make sense for them to have an allocation to uh, cryptocurrency and, and it, they should have the right to do that. And that's something that I believe that we shared. One of the key differences in what we've put together than what Fidelity has constructed is, is the core manner in which we've done it. Uh, uh, under ERISA and in the guidance from the Department of Labor, I think they do um, they, they spell out some of the core duties when a planned fiduciary decides to add an investment into the into the 401k. So, so there's this notion in ERISA, it's called designated investment alternatives or DIAs. It, it's basically the core 401k menu. Those are the, like the 15 to 20 mutual fund options that every employee gets access to the minute they sign up for their 401k. Um, well, that core 401k menu generally needs to be prudent for the plan overall. Uh, And there's case law that suggests that the plan participant in the core 401k menu can't be put in a decision as determining whether or not any given investment is prudent. Um, That should be the role of the plan fiduciary. Well, when we started thinking about what makes cryptocurrency as an asset class unique, it's like, look, it's a lot earlier than a lot of like large cap stocks have been around for seemingly forever, certainly all of my, all of my life. Um, but cryptocurrency is new, unique, distinct with different risk characteristics, different level of sophistication. And so we early on decided that actually it's not clear that a, uh, whether or not cryptocurrency would be prudent for everybody in the plan, but rather there's actually a, another vehicle one could use, and that's a self-directed brokerage window. And going back to 2012, the Department of Labor uh, in their guidance back then said that, hey, provided that an employer um, makes available a prudent core 401k menu, uh, an employer can make available a self-directed window, and that self-directed window will not be considered a designated investment alternative under the plan. Uh, And that's, that's great. And that self-directed window has been used by nearly 50% of companies offer a self-directed window to give the employees the ability to go beyond the basic 15 or 20 mutual funds and access individual stocks, 
bonds, uh, ETFs. Um, in fact, the Department of Labor, uh, th their retirement savings plan, the Federal Thrift Savings Plan, they made a decision uh, a few years ago to add a self-directed mutual fund window. And in their own memos to their investment committee, there was an argument that basically said, hey, if we just have a limited number of investment options, that may not be sufficient for everybody who may have more complicated portfolios, who may have the need for other investments that could benefit them, but maybe not the plan overall. And so- And then it's just, you know, how lovely is it for people to just have choice as to what they do with their own hard-earned money? That's exactly right. And we believe that, look, if it's your responsibility to save for your own retirement, then we believe that people should have the ability to chart the best course for them that they decide on how they want to get to retirement. Now, you and I were talking a little bit before we started recording. This wasn't, you know, a conclusion to offer the opportunity to invest in these uh, crypto assets. That wasn't a decision that you guys came to lightly. There was a lot of time, research, due diligence, legal research done into uh, into how to do it right. Did, did I get that right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, tell, it, it, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, so, so first was uh, really going through and understanding and convincing to myself that, yes, actually, uh, th there's a, let me look at some ex specific examples of projects that are doing very interesting things. And then we're getting a multi-year journey on, okay, how can we do this? Uh, so the first was, as I mentioned, understanding transformative technology in a historical context. There's a pattern, whether it's the internet stocks, trains, what have you, where geeks will toil in obscurity for a decade or two. <laughs> so will lawyers, it's okay. <laughs> and then on a new technology, and then at some point, there begins to be enough of a, of a manifestation of what that technology could be in the future that the market takes notice. And oftentimes, the market becomes irrationally exuberant. Technological transformation takes years. And oftentimes, the market may assume that that adoption is going to happen much sooner. And so you can have periods of irrational exuberance, like we saw in the 1990s with dot-com stocks. That does not mean that the technology over the long term is actually not a, a, a good investment for a portion of a portfolio. But what it does mean is that we have to be cognizant that people may, for a variety of reasons, make some mistakes and over-allocate, over-index on, on something that has promise but has a high risk. And so for that reason, when we constructed our platform, uh, we put in some really strong uh, education guidance and guardrails. Um, and one of those elements is capping the uh, amount of somebody's portfolio that they could actually invest in the cryptocurrency window. And, and we started with the, with the default cap of 5%. Um, and that then, so people can put 5% of their current balance, 5% of ongoing contributions into the cryptocurrency window. The next so step those, is- gonna... those, And those safeguards are designed so that, you know, people can um, invest and learn and watch what the assets are doing without sort of the the, the risk of wiping themselves out um, in the event of a misstep. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And, and specifically, um, for us, it's less about creating a place for somebody to learn with their 401k and more um, because the next thing we did was we said, well, okay, great. If you want to get access to the window, 
um, you know, traditional self-directed window, you just fill out a form, you send it in, and then you can open it up. Um, well, we realized that we, we wanted to hold ourselves to a higher standard. And, and so we, in order to get access to the window, uh, employees have to go through some pretty comprehensive and robust uh, education and disclosures around the inherent risks in uh, cryptocurrency. Um, and then we weren't sure that everybody was going to read. So in order to gain access, we then quiz you and you have to pass that quiz before you could actually gain access. That's uh, to totally just what Coinbase does when I want to open a wallet, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, so kidding. I prefer- That's absolutely not what happens for those who are just listening and can't see my face. I, that was a very sarcastic comment that I made. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, look, like, look, I, I think, um, one of the, there's a, uh, 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 law professor, uh, Chris Bremer, who has done some really, I, I, I know we all, we all know Chris. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> he did this wonderful paper, uh, looking at, I think it was in the context of, uh, DeFi disclosures wh- where he proposed something similar, which was like, let's actually give people, uh, have them pass a test so that they show that they can understand it. He, he had a, took it to a, even cooler place than we did, which I think it was uh, uh, resulting in an NFT that somebody could then use on different platforms um, so that they wouldn't have to constantly take the same quiz over. Um, but, but I think for, for us, that was a, a key component because our, our, role, our goal is not to uh, convince people that cryptocurrency should be part of their 401k, but rather to give access to those people that understand the space, that are sophisticated enough, um, and who have come to their own independent decision that a small allocation in their retirement plan makes sense. Um, the next thing we did was something that, to my knowledge, no other self-directed brokerage does is we look into what people are investing. And as a, a key tenant of uh, investing is that you rebalance your portfolio. And so we're monitoring the allocations, the proportion of their overall 401k that's uh, allocated to crypto versus other assets. The extent to which, because of market movements, that 5% becomes 20%. Um, the risk tolerance probably hasn't changed. So we provide proactive uh, uh, rebalance alerts, suggesting that an employee consider uh, rebalancing um, some of their cryptocurrency into a more traditional mix of investments. And so these are just some of the elements of the um, program that we put in place, because for us, what was most important is that it's a 401k plan. Uh, this is not a taxable account that might be fund money. This is people's retirements. And so how do you actually balance access, freedom, and choice with a system that can help it, uh, that is designed to help ensure- Achieve certain goals, right? Yeah. So I held off asking you this question as long as I can, uh, mm-hmm. but the time has now come. Obviously, um, the world of crypto- has experienced some major, major headlines uh, mm-hmm. lately. Um, the rapid rise and miserable fall um, of FTX has mm-hmm. had, I think, some both, uh, you know, predictable but unnecessary consequences for, you know, the the industry in general. Um, mm-hmm. How, if at all, has watching what's uh, happened with FTX and uh, Mr. Uh, Sam Bakeman fried impacted you guys? You guys getting a lot of questions or people more trepidatious? Or or is this really just an opportunity for you to reemphasize and double down on what your true value proposition is? Because I see it both ways. 
Yeah, I, I mean, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, the atmosphere uh, has changed. Um, and I think um, great things that have come out of it is a renewed focus amongst many in the in the industry on maybe going back to first principles and ensuring uh, that people do a thoughtful uh, due diligence on, on counterparties. I, I think for us, um, look, as I told you earlier, in selecting our uh, cryptocurrency partner, uh, which is Coinbase for qualified custody and uh, exchange, um, we do that as a 401k fiduciary. So we're an ERISA fiduciary. Um, for those of you who don't know, that means that I am personally liable. Uh, they can't just take my house. They, they can take the picture uh, behind me uh, if, if, uh, if we don't adhere to those fiduciary standards, which have been described by um, a judge as ha having the highest fiduciary standard in the land. Um, so it's a high bar. Because of that, we spent a ton of time looking at who our uh, potential uh, crypto custodial and exchange partners could be. Um, and there were a number of factors we looked at, like was a portfolio manager in 2008, 2009. I understand counterparty credit <laughs> risk. Was there and something so, going on then? Was, that, was yeah. there a little something going on then with the economy? Yeah, it's, kind of, it's kind of like TradFi has had their own experience um, with counterparty credit risk. And, and, and so in evaluating the different partners, we went really deep and we really wanted to select a partner that provided both the technology that was needed to provide a quality service at scale, uh, but then also one that had it as much transparency as possible and publicly traded, uh, independent audits, it's a different level of transparency. Um, and then really going deep into different aspects of their business, um, it, flowing through every step of the trade, uh, and I think for us, a lot of the things that got major exchanges in trouble or other crypto providers uh, do not exist. So, so you know, Coinbase is not able to rehypothecate in any of our client assets. We're not engaged in uh, in cryptocurrency lending. And and so I think um, that was stuff that we spent a lot of time really delving uh, deep into in in, in 2020 and, and 2021, which. I think uh, just it's paying off in spades now, right? It, it really is. It really is. And, and I think you're seeing a lot more providers um, taking a much closer look at, at these issues now. We're also seeing new entrants into the marketplace, right? You, you see BNY Mellon, you see State Street, um, you see a, a large growing number of institutional, um, traditional financial institutions beginning to provide execution and custodial services to the space. Which I, which I think is, is great for the overall industry. I, I think it is great. Um, I hate using the phrase like having more grownups in the room uh, because I, I'm not trying to uh, uh, imply, infer, or insinuate anything uh, about some of our, uh, you know, some of the other industry participants. But I think for so many years, for so many people who have cried, we need more crypto regulation, whatever that means, right? Because it, it there is no one set of, standards for what actually that means, mm -hmm. hence the very sort of squishy, amorphous executive order that we got out of the executive branch last year. But the notion that we already have a set of governing rules regarding the types of uh, products that you're offering, and it is one of the strongest statutes. ERISA's got teeth, right? Not, not dissimilar to the way the SEC Act has teeth, but ERISA really does have teeth. This is an area of law that's well-developed. The standards mm -hmm. are well-developed. 
So for those who are still trepidatious about investing in crypto because they think it's still the Wild West and and a free-for-all, doing so in an environment like this where you have those ERISA protections, you know, if I'm thinking of myself just as an employee who knows nothing about, you know, crypto, I can sort of feel a little bit more confident that with these guardrails, this is a safer way for me to, to dip my toe and start doing some investing in a market that so many institutions are already are already doing it. So I, I like mm-hmm. that it it does um it definitely fills a gap with some really well established rules, regulations and 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 law. You, you know, for, for me, like I was actually quite a fan of the Biden executive order. Uh and uh, b- because I think it, it it did a um there were a number of things that I really liked about it. One was the the recognition that um we need to make sure that we're thoughtful and that uh, uh, th- there are sufficient uh, protections uh, for average investor. I think that that's absolutely critical. Um, but I think that was it was very thoughtfully balanced with a statement. I'm paraphrasing, um, but that as a society, we need to a recognize the potential transformative nature of blockchain, but that b we need to help ensure that the benefits of uh, uh, financial and technological innovation are shared equitably by all. The answer to that is not, no, only the wealthy can have access, <laughs> but rather, I believe it's incumbent then on all of the industry practitioners to figure out, okay, well, how can we provide access in a way that has sufficient investor protections? And, and um, th- I think that's a cornerstone of, of who we are. Um, and so I, it, it's sort of, I love it. So uh, the cynic lawyer in me, I appreciate sort of like the platitudes and the underlying sentiment, but I always think the devil's in the details. And then, you know, when you get guidance, like use extreme caution, it's like, oh, okay, what does that mean? What, what is, what does that actually mean? So the devil is always sort of, it's always in the details. And then you have these regulators who are going to, you know, it's like, platitude upon platitude. We don't need platitudes anymore. We need something sticky. Like we need, we need rules. And just, you know, I just, as a lawyer, as someone who like ends up in front of the regulators trying to say, what does this mean? What doesn't it mean? The squishier the language, the harder my job and the more wiggle room they have to then, you know, wag their fingers at a company after the fact that they feel like they weren't doing something right. Um, but that's that's a Dara problem. That's not a David problem. No, no. I but but I think it, at a very high level, without getting into the detail, I, I think the that that DOL guidance re- really did, and I think you put it interestingly. I think you characterized it as um, them providing advice. Um, I, I think there's an important reason why. You know, these are retirement accounts. Whether it's a defined contribution four hundred one k or a defined benefit plan, these are, this is people's retirement. Uh, I. It's hard to imagine things that can get more personal than that because it right. not just it, but it's their spouse, it's their children. Like these are huge consequential decisions. And I think that there's a reason why ERISA did not put the Department of Labor or any other regulator in the position of deciding what is or is not investable um, because problems can happen. Um, you know, certainly we saw, I think you quoted the term extreme caution with respect to cryptocurrency, but take ESG for, for example. Um, here you have an asset class uh, that uh, large institutional money managers, I think, I think Larry Fink uh, uh, a couple of years ago described that uh, climate risk is investment risk um, and that you need to ex- 
that 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 there should be an explicit explicit incorporation of climate in a thoughtful construction of a portfolio. You've seen significant adoption of ESG for pure investment reasons. And then if you look at how the rules around ESG or the guidance around ESG has changed over the last 15 years, seems to be like it might be associated with who's in the White House and at a certain moment in time. Now, uh, why, 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 why would one say that? It's not as though our agencies have become miserably politicized. I could go on for, I, I could go on for hours and hours and hours on, on that topic. Yeah. But it's an, I mean, it's an excellent point. But I mean, the whole saga is going to be very interesting. But I think what for us all is doing is really cool. So first of all, congratulations. Obviously, the platform. Um, is a success. You guys are continuing to grow. I was reading that you guys, you know, have got a number of organizations who are already active, a mm-hmm. very healthy number in the pipeline. Um, so we'll definitely be keeping an eye on what you guys are up to. I will personally be keeping an eye on the docket and the DC uh, district courts, but really um, well done and congratulations. And I hope you'll be back to give us an update maybe in 12 months or so. Always happy to. And thank you so much for having me. So for anyone who wants to learn more about what you guys are doing, where can they go? Uh, Forusall.com. And that's for F-O-R-U-S-A-L-L. Yep. All right, David, um, our, our time's come to an end. Any sort of parting thoughts or, or, or words for our listeners? No, I, I think for us, most important thing is that every American has equal access to investment options. And whether we're talking about cryptocurrency today, private equity, venture capital, private debt in the future, I think it's really incumbent on us to ensure that everybody has access to alternative investments. It, it has been a key part of the portfolios of pension plans, endowments, uh, family offices for decades. And I think unless as an industry, we figure out how to provide that equal access, that will only exacerbate the existing structural inequality that exists with wealth creation that we have today in America. I think that's very well said. I don't know that I can do any better. Um, Thank you so much for being here, David. Guys and gals, thanks for listening in Uh, again. Until next time, I'm Dara Tarkowski, and this is Tech on Reg.